Welcome back, everyone, to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. Again, I'm Brent, and today I'm joined by two really special guests, my colleagues, Sarah Edwards and Jared Halleck. Sarah and Jared head up product innovation and development at Cantata. Both of them have really fascinating points of view and outlook on the role of technology in today's business landscape and how it impacts so much more for our service clients than simply margins and operating process. So before we dive into today's topic, I would love an introduction from both of you for our guests. Jared, why don't we start with you? Yeah, thanks, Brent. So I've been with Cantata for about four years now, leading the product function. I've been leading product organizations for well over a decade. And, you know, I have really, really been so fascinated by my experience and time here at Cantata, the problem space, as we refer to it in sort of product speak. There's just no shortage of challenges within the professional services world that we think technology can provide answers and solutions for. So it's been a great run. And uh, yeah, I live here in Utah and it, it's currently snowing outside. So that's uh, that's a little bit of introduction from me. Great. And yeah, Sarah Edwards, I don't live in Utah, so it's not snowing. I live in London where actually, <laughs> surprise, surprise, it's not raining. It's currently blue sky and sunny, but I'm sure it'll be raining again tomorrow. My background's professional services. So I've worked in the professional services industry now showing my age, I think, for over 27 years. So all the way through from being a consultant to a project manager to managing a global services you know, practice. I guess I've lived and breathed some of the challenges that our customers face, but also importantly, I've seen you know some of the changes in this industry and some of the sort of changing demands on services firms. And that's why I'm really passionate about, you know, my role and working with Jared and the team at Cantata. It's really how do we help services firms really address what are, you know, unique challenges um, that that industry faces. So great to be here and join the discussion. Oh, thank you both. And, you know, for our listeners in the services industry, and we're recording this here in the beginning of the year, January 2024, the challenges and the, the myriad of opportunity is always very complex with service industries. And we here at Cantata, we're going through a bit of a positioning shift into this notion of the PS cloud and redefining that category. And as we talk through that today, would it be great to hear, because you are so dialed in both in research and listening to our customers, listening to our prospective customers, studying the market, studying the contours there. Let's start off with a bit around challenges for professional services. So, you know, as they scale, they become more complex because they scale with their primary product, which are people. And scaling doesn't always make it easier to operate like other industries, maybe that are in automation or manufacturing. And we're a decade, maybe a decade and a half into this category of legacy PSA that were really built to address some challenges around managing people and, and resources at scale. But in today's market, you know, that notion really isn't enough. So Jared, I think I'll start with you. You know, why has, in your mind, vertical SaaS become really critical for running a modern services business? It's a great question, Brent. Maybe we could just take a step back and maybe just pose the question, you know, why vertical SaaS in general for any industry? And we'll kind of work into professional services. And my sort of simple answer for why vertical SaaS is sort of, why not? <laughs> in the sense that, 
you know, when you think about the evolution of technology, you know, went from sort of on-prem to cloud. And since the sort of cloud revolution, we've seen this sort of atomization into taking horizontal platforms, maybe like Salesforce or SAP and others of the like, which are very horizontal solutions and take a great deal of customization and really complex configuration in order to meet the needs of specific industries. We've seen this trend actually since the very early days of cloud software with, you know, pretty early breakoffs. One that I'd highlight is, is for the pharmaceutical industry, a company called Viva that essentially built on the Salesforce platform using that technology, but they essentially molded it around the pharma industry. You know, the reason for that is because, you know, you can get a lot more value out of solutions that are bespoke for a certain industry or built in a way that's, you know, wrapped around the specific needs and challenges, processes, and so forth, and workflows of a specific business. And so services, I think, is really at the top of the list of industries that benefit from a vertical solution. And I say that because there are just so many different sort of structural challenges with running a services business, right? You've got you know people and the time and expertise of your people being sort of the core product that you're selling, but that happens to be, you know, large fixed cost in a business. Time is virtually one of the only things that is inherently perishable that you can't inventory relative to things that you can sell in a B2B context anyways. Because of all of those challenges, there's a lot of different opportunities that arise in terms of building technology that can solve for those uniquely and specifically. And the stakes are really high, right? So if you get it wrong in a services organization, you know, the margin for error is thinner and smaller than in any, let's say many other industries, maybe not all industries, but many other industries. And so the margin for error is pretty low and the stakes are high. And therefore any incremental benefit that you can get using technology to reduce the risks particularly the operational risks of running a services organization has massive benefit to the professional services industry. I think that notion of time and the continuum is really, really key, right? And it is perishable. And, you know, Sarah, you and I share a background in consulting and being in this business and, and now on the technology side to enable that business. And I always likened it to, you know, we're always the sharks that had to keep <laughs> swimming in that revenue journey or else we'd fall to the ocean floor. So we've got customer data. We have insight and input from prospects. We study the market and the industry. From your view, Jared's done a nice job of sort of articulating that differentiation with vertical SaaS. Why do you think that, you know, looking forward, this specialization, this verticalization will really become essential to these businesses? I think it's essential because I think actually the world of professional services is changing. I think there's so much more pressure now on professional services firms to not only operate their business effectively, but to do that, they have to retain and develop the talent they need. I talk to customers all the time where they're saying it's becoming much harder to retain and develop that talent. Their talent is more demanding. They want to be put on the projects that they want to work on and that they're developing their skills. I think, you know, when I started out as a consultant 27 odd years ago, you went on to a project, you were put on that project, you went and worked ridiculous hours on those projects and you moved from project to project. I think the world has changed. And I think the demands of, you know, the talent pool now has really sort of changed. I think services firms need to adapt to that. And it's not just people, it's in customers. Customers now 
far more demanding and I think are demanding services in new ways. Again, talking to all of our customers, I think the way that they're delivering their services is now changing. Gone are the traditional projects where it was, you know, I used to go onto a project, you go onto the client site, you deliver that project, you go onto the next project. Those days have gone now. And I think, you know, we've got people working across multiple projects, selling annuity, repeatable based services, a lot more pressure on organisations to package up and sell all of their services and deliver those in different ways to customers. So I think now more than ever, services firms have to look at how am I delivering a great experience to my people and importantly to my customers? Because if I don't achieve that, they won't be successful. Yeah. And that transition, because when you think about it, right, you know, you describe that classic management consulting staffing manager model where resources are selected, placed, complete work, move to the next one, maybe build some expertise along the way. But now there's all these multiple tensions between client and talent really shaping the industry. And and I think that's a great segue for both of you. The next topic that as these tensions have really evolved and are, and are driving and now, and now really moving in quite a fast velocity to reshape the industry, how's technology keeping pace and impacting and transforming the value chain for these businesses. And, you know, Sarah, I put that to you. What are some of the key technical innovations, both that you see broadly in the industry, and then, of course, what we're working on to help these firms deliver value to their clients? Yeah, I mean, we've always talked about, I guess, operational excellence being at the core. And I still think that's the sort of foundation. And I think there's a lot of ways that technology can help services firms operate more you know efficiently but I think where technology is now able to help and where the boundaries are being pushed with technology is how does technology enable you to deliver as I said a great employee experience how does it enable my employees to see what projects are upcoming and be able to sort of raise their hand or start to feel more engaged and get onto the types of work and develop their skills and capabilities in their career in line with the projects that they're delivering to customers and then how do we sort of, you know, monitor and track and manage and deliver a great experience to our clients? I mean, we've always talked about operational elements when you look at projects, the project on time, is it on budget? I think we're now seeing technology build and, and be able to take it beyond that. You know, what's the customer sentiment? Are they comfortable that the project's delivering the outcomes that, you know, that they need it to deliver? What's the sentiment of the team on the ground who are delivering that project? Suddenly, I think technology is able to broaden and help people get a complete view of their business, moving beyond that sort of operational component to sort of employee and client experience as well. Those are great points, Sarah. And maybe just to build on a couple of those, there's a massive shift that occurred, not just in this industry, but it's a generational shift. It's occurred across all industries. And my timing of it is it occurred about around 2015, somewhere, somewhere between, you know, in the, in the mid 2010s. You know, we've always known that services is super reliant on people, right? You know, what's that saying? It's the economy, stupid. Well, in services, it's the people. Mm-hmm. Everything's foundationally built on on people. There, there was a, and you're probably familiar with this, Brent, but there was a an HBS article, I won't be able to name the author, who uh, wrote a fairly uh, well-known HBR article regarding services, and I believe it's called the Services Value Profit Chain. And it goes something like this. By the way, this is in 2008. Mm-hmm. Take care of your people. Your people will take care of your clients and your clients will take care of your profits, right? And so the notion of talent, taking care of talent, being mindful of cultivating talent, hiring the right people, 
retaining them because it's uh, super costly, right? You know, just just to break down the economics, which for our listeners who are in services, this would not be new for them. But you know, in any other business, when somebody leaves, then the sort of meter keeps running in terms of products being sold or services being delivered. If it's a software technology service, but in professional services, when somebody leaves, the meter stops running. So it's mm-hmm. especially costly when somebody leaves a business. So this has always been, you know, a major component of running a services business. And Sarah talks about different pressures going beyond just, Hey, this is a very different high stakes business. It's actually gotten harder to run a services business over time. And one of the key reasons for that is the services, I'm sorry, the talent landscape has changed quite a bit. And I marked that going back to my comment earlier in the mid 2010s, when really millennials started to enter the ranks of management, the oldest millennials, they're in their you know, early to mid thirties in 2015. And that really marked for me, I was at another company at the time and I experienced this building a different type of product and it's no different here really marked a shift to a departure from being able to ship, you know, software for businesses where you didn't have to think about the user experience. You didn't have to think about what the users thought about using the product because these users now become much more vocal through that generational shift. Millennials are much more collaborative. They're much less likely to force people who work for them to use technology, the people who work for them. There's a study back from around the same time, and I believe it was done by Dell EMC, that said that millennials are 60% more likely to leave a job based off of the technology that's provided to them, right? And so imagine that you're in a services business and all of a sudden it's really high stakes for you to keep your employees, but all of a sudden you now have to deliver them technologies that meet their criteria, (laughs) you know, having grown up as digital natives, we call this sort of the consumerization of enterprise software. And that's been going on in all industries, but it's been particularly impactful in the services space because of the cost of not essentially keeping your employees happy Mm -hmm. and giving them the tools that they want to use and so forth. So these are, this is like one really, really major facet of the change that Sarah's talking about that's occurred in the last half a full decade or so. And as you think about the technology that people like us are trying to deliver, we're really trying to be on sort of the frontier of building solutions that not only the buyer is satisfied with, but also that the users are satisfied with. And when we look at the data around why organizations do not implement PSAs, which you know, really are purpose-built solutions. And they they actually are one of the earliest examples of vertical SaaS that emerged out of the early 2000s because some of the earliest PSAs go all the way back to 2000, 2002, 2004 timeframe. But those were all built in a different era for the needs of buyers, for the needs particularly of the finance office, right? And so as you think about the kinds of technology that really services organizations are demanding today, it's moved beyond that. It's moved into how can I deliver technology that helps people get their jobs done in a way that, you know, they're willing to use it. And that's the principal complaint of the legacy PSA space is that they're really difficult to use. Users don't like using it and the cost of ownership is really high. And I think it's not just about, just to add to that, Jared, I think it's also about how having the right tools in place to be able to adapt quickly. I mean, COVID showed this, but I think what we know now more than ever is that services firms need to continuously adapt 
you know, I mean, AI, new, new AI technology is changing the way that, you know, many services firms, the skills and the practices and the offerings that they're having to deliver. So I think services firms need to make sure that they can also be looking forward and that they can adapt quickly. And I think unless they can, you know, adapt quickly, which often it's actually the technology that holds you back from that. I can't, you know, adapt quickly. I've, you know, maybe that's even as they grow. You talked about the challenges, Brent, at the start in terms of as you scale a services organisation. I speak to so many services firms where they've scaled successfully. They haven't really integrated successfully. They've still got these mm-hmm. pockets and silos, essentially different companies and different teams working together. They're not leveraging that global resource pool, as an example, and leveraging the global skills and capabilities that would enable them to really be able to adapt you know, much quicker with new services to market, the way that they deliver their services. And I think there's much more pressure on services firms to achieve that today. Those are really good points. You know, moving from that, Sarah, you talked a little bit about that kind of legacy orientation of are the project commercials, the quantitative metrics in place and, and Jared kind of transitioning more to the experience, both employee as well as client, which every firm's in the business of. And Jared, the article I think you referenced for our listeners is called Putting the Service Profit Chain to Work. It's an HBR classic article you can find on HBR. And it talks through that value chain, which which is still extremely relevant, I think. But if anything now, these shifts you're describing are more prescient, right? Because you, you can't achieve these outcomes with that outdated technology. So for both of you, we've been evolving and, and you're both on the vanguard of that and our, our respective brand and platform. And we asked our CEO, Michael, a similar question, and you touched on it toward the end about organizational inertia and whether or not a, a firm really could transition and invest. But from a technical perspective, not necessarily organizational or prioritization changes and, and a um, KPIs for a firm, but really from a technology perspective, what do you think the cost of doing nothing and continuing to use this pastiche or constellation of kind of outdated tools? Because we know, right, the rejoinder for a busy moving at the speed of client business, organization, scaling or not, the answer is always somehow we heroically get it done. We'll paper mache these tools together and throw some people at it and the work will survive. But what do you think with these changing dynamics, the true cost of using outdated tools for a company can be operating in today's environment, like with all the the new talent dimensions that Sarah talked about and Jared, kind of that value chain of both employee and customer. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'd I'd maybe say to that, Frank, so that you talked about this idea of heroics, and I think the services industry is something that, you know, has always relied on that, isn't it? It's like, well, actually, we'll just have to make people work a bit harder. But I think that's changing. And I think actually services firms now to really survive and thrive in the new economy, they've got to be able to deliver new services quickly, deliver new services in different ways. They've got to retain and develop the talent. They've got to be you know, developing, you know, leading knowledge and talent around key areas like AI or whatever it may be. And I think that the pressure on first, they don't achieve that. I think they ultimately, you know, will be unsuccessful. And I think there's so much competition in this in the market as well. You know, a customer, I think, have to make that change to be successful. I think you can only rely on heroics to a certain stage. 
And then you've got to look at, well, how do we make sure that, that we're operating efficiently and that we are retaining and developing our, our talent across the business? I think we're at the stage now that I think, you know, firms won't be able to develop the talent. They won't retain the talent and they won't be able to, unless they change the technology that they're using. Maybe some of Jared's points earlier. I think we're in a new era now. You can't just rely on those heroics. You could characterize the era that's gone by where, you know, really the cost of doing nothing was, hey, I might, I might not make as much margin. I might not be as profitable, but we'll get it done. And I think we've moved into a kind of a new phase where it's not just about the hard costs, but it's about the opportunity costs. Keep in mind, one of the structural challenges of services is that the barriers to entry relative to other industries is virtually zero. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's not entirely zero, but it's pretty close to zero. And so to Sarah's point, the competition is kind of always been a factor, but probably more so now than ever before. And so when I say opportunity costs, I think that comes in a handful of different forms. The opportunity costs of not being able to see far enough around the corner to be able to make business decisions now that can put you in a place to take advantage of demand trends. You know, uh, you might be caught not being able to fill, fulfill the work that you otherwise would have had you had the tooling in place to understand what kind of staffing you needed for, you know, not just three months out, but closer to, you know, nine to 12 months out. That's one form of opportunity cost. The other form of opportunity cost is just, again, going back to the competitive factor, who's to say that your competition isn't uh, exploiting technology to run their business and therefore has a competitive advantage over you. And so there's an opportunity cost in in new business um, and potentially not being able to retain your employees as well because other people are running essentially a tighter ship, if you will. And so I think those opportunity costs are they loom pretty large over services organizations. And when you look at just purely common sense, looking at somebody who's using technology to truly run their business in a way that helps them achieve those degrees of efficiencies in their business, helps them deliver remarkable experiences to both clients and employees. Those are the services organizations that are going to win. And I think it's pretty difficult. Again, We've talked about this a lot already because of all the structural challenges of running a services business in the first place. It's pretty difficult to do that without a you know well-oiled machine, which in a lot of ways is dependent on technology to do that. So before we wrap today, I'll pose maybe one last question to you. We've talked a lot about this evolution, the landscape changing, both the dynamics of client demand, the services businesses themselves, the multiple tensions with talent, and then this notion of verticalization of SaaS and then our own positioning to the PS cloud. But, you know, for our listeners and usually, you know, our episodes, we tend to gravitate toward that practical expertise, things to consider, but give us a taste and a view for our platform of what we're doing to really stay ahead of these changes and deliver these solutions to clients? What are you most excited about? Yeah, maybe it's, it's, I guess we both can answer because actually I think what we're probably both really excited about some of the innovation actually we're working together on and driving in terms of, you know, how we can enable our clients to look beyond, as we said, just that sort of operational view of a project. How do you get better insight in terms of getting visibility in terms of, you know, how a project performing in terms of, you know, how's your customer feeling? You know, how does that relate to how we're delivering to the customer and also, you know, the team on the ground? 
trying to really look at how we push the boundaries of insight and data and how we gather that insight and data beyond just those operational metrics, I think is something that's really innovative, um, you know, will really sort of start to transform this industry. But I mean, how many times in a services business do you find now projects read and it's too late, you can't do anything about it? Whereas actually, I think, you know, we know that there's insight and data that you could be gaining from customers, from employees to understand how is this project performing um, and being able to make those decisions earlier. Some of that innovation is um, is something we're really excited about. Yeah, just to build on a little bit of what Sarah said, if you think about the technologies that have been serving services organizations for the last almost two decades now, they've really been focused on the transactional aspects of running a services business. And to bring that to life, it's really they've really been focused on cost and schedule. Am I going to make money and am I going to deliver this project on time? I guess the kind of great irony of that is that when you think about a services business, it's not by any stretch of the imagination transactional in nature, right? Mm-hmm. It's a relational business. It's people engaging with people. It's like technology has gotten it all wrong for almost two decades now because it's really been focused on the transactional. Don't get me wrong. That's, it's really important. You know, you've got to have the operational rigor in your business to survive in this business. But I think where a lot of the innovation is, particularly a lot of the things that we're thinking about around how can we build on a platform where, you know, we do in our platform, the transactional really well, but how can we start to introduce the relational? How can we start to use this platform as a way to collect information about not only the operational data that flows in and out of a project, but also the experiential data about how do clients feel about what they're experiencing as a customer on the receiving end of those services? And how do employees feel about working at that particular services organization or working on a particular project or for a particular client? And then being able to combine those. That's an area I think that is really exciting. And I think it's going to be super valuable. And as we talk to our customers about this, you know, look, you can always find inspiration from the things that people are already trying to do. (laughs) A lot of our customers are already trying to take a platform like ours and sort of bolt it to other platforms that aren't necessarily purpose-built, but we think there's a lot of opportunity there. That's kind of area number one. Area number two is, Sarah mentioned this earlier, is the AI frontier. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, Sarah and I did a, a session in our customer conference just about a month and a half ago. We kind of laid out our case for generative AI and the impact it's going to make on the services industry and the impact it's going to make on technologies that serve the services industry. And I think in both of those examples, generative AI, just in the services context, never mind technology, it's going to have a massive, massive impact, right? This is a knowledge-based industry generally. You know, you have a technology that's basically indexed the entire human record and has essentially operationalized knowledge in a way that we've never seen before. So there's going to be a lot of impact in the way that generative AI affects the services industry. I think overall, it's actually going to expand the value frontier for services organizations, just in the same way that Google and the early internet actually didn't contract the services industry because knowledge is more available. It actually expanded the services industry. And For those who are providing technology for services organizations, there's going to be just boundless amounts of areas where that kind of technology can be applied, again, to make, you know, not only services organizations more operationally efficient, but probably moreover, that technology we've noticed is something that humans are actually pretty 
okay with engaging with. I think that's actually one of the core innovations of ChatGPT. People don't talk a lot about this is actually the user interface, right? The ability to just have an AMA or an ask me anything style interface to augment the work that you're already doing. That's a massive breakthrough. And it's when you talk about technologies that employees would prefer to use, that's one of those technologies that employees would prefer to use. Mm -hmm. So I think those AI technologies will be brought to bear to improve user experience or employee experience in the services context. And I think that's ultimately going to cascade out to client experience as well. Um, and then the last thing I would just say too, again, going back to this notion is it's all about the people, you know, in a services context, some of that AI, you know, we're already starting to use that in our products where we're leveraging that to solve very, very complex resourcing questions and challenges. And people underestimate why resourcing is as difficult as it is because, you know, we feel it when we're trying to resource and staff, but one, just, if I could just take a second to bring it to life a little bit, Brent, if you were to take a company that had 20 employees and had to staff two projects with seven people each on that project, the number of permutational combinations of sort of resourcing plans that you could put together exceeds 300 million, mm. right? There's a spectrum of optimal. What are you trying to optimize for? Are you trying to optimize for profit? Are you trying to optimize for client experience? Are you trying to optimize for employee experience? Well, just having a few people sit in a room and just try to fit the puzzle pieces together. And usually what a lot of companies are doing is, is they're just trying to get to the point where it works. <laughs> right, right. And they're essentially just saying, hey, all right, it works. All these people are available. They roughly have the right skills. But what they actually end up with is one of those over 300 million permutations. And they don't really actually know where it sits on the spectrum of optimal. And this is where AI is some of the work that we're doing as well. We're using different AI te techniques to essentially help people staff, not just a single project, but multiple projects and getting them closest to optimal as a starting point. Now, obviously, there are things that technology doesn't understand or know about that's outside of the system. So you still have to rely on humans to sort of get it to its final state. But getting you to that sort of most optimal starting point, I think, is a massive, massive opportunity for the services industry in the sense of its ability to leverage AI into the future. I like what you said. It, it kind of dovetails into Sarah's earlier journey around the evolution of the business itself, right? As an early career consultant, simply just being plucked and placed on a project and now transitioning to this much more dimensional aspect where staffing and resourcing, usually biased toward some nominal skill, margin and availability, now being able to take all these different attributes into consideration. And then Jared, your point around just the UI, right? I mean, in this evolution from legacy PSA, which was really folks punching keys and entering inputs into platforms that were really two decade old ERP tools, right? And everyone mm -hmm. kind of has those stories, right? Of gosh, I've got to log into the company's Acme solution and punch in some time and so forth. So bringing those to bear sounds really exciting. I'm, as a colleague, do get a little bit of an inside view here. So I'm excited to see some of these solutions brought to bear. This has been fascinating. So we've gone through this journey of the why, and then you both bringing to life really the how. And we're excited to see these new enhancements kind of roll out both through our platforms and the industry. So thank you for your time. 
both of you and Sarah, I know you've been a little under the weather, so we appreciate that. I managed that. to cough not too much, mm-hmm. but thank you. Yes. Um, and for our listeners, again, we love to hear from you. If you have any follow-up questions, would like to hear more about some of these advancements or just the industry at large for myself, for Jared, for Sarah, you can always reach out to us at podcast at cantata.com. And thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And to learn more about the power of Cantata's purpose-built technology, go to cantata.com. Thanks again for listening.